0: This is the Education Gadfly Show. And they can play their yes. own games. Yes,
1: they can. As they like. Yeah, it oh, right.
0: in the tail of the donkey with your eyes open.
1: What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. You hear the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week. Nina Reese. Thanks for having me. Welcome back, Nina. And also joining us, as always, David Griffith. Hey, Mike. Hello, hello. For those of you that don't know, Nina is the president and chief executive officer of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. Nina also our very first ever guest on the Education Gadfly show way back when, when Rick and I used to do this show. And Rick called her a mid-major official in the bush administration i still remember one one which
2: which is why rick is no longer co-hosting these right
1: exactly that he's gone he's gone but i think you have been a guest on this show more than anybody else
2: i love this show mike i try to listen to your podcast as frequently as i can yeah and i think it's great that you're doing this and that you're continuing to make this stuff interesting.
1: Well, thank you, Nina. That's quite, that, that's lovely. Yeah. We appreciate that. Well, hey, it's ha- great having you back. Uh, we got lots to talk about. None of it has anything to do with impeachment, other than the fact that we accidentally released a huge and hugely important study right. during impeachment week right. last week, and it kind of got swallowed up. I'm just saying to the whistleblower, if you happen to be listening, could you have given us a little heads up next time? Yeah, Because uh, we could have done a little better planning on the PR front. But uh, let's talk about it in Ed Reform Update. Of course, what I am talking about is David's great new study called Rising Tide. Not Roll Tide, Rising Tide, Charter School Market Share and Student Achievement. Nina, thank you for your your group has been helping us get the word out about the study. But I just feel like we need to be shouting this from the rooftop because this is one of the most important charter school studies to come out in many years and it's important because it was able to do something that none of the other studies have done before keep in mind, we've had lots of studies over the years comparing performance of charter school students with traditional public school peers. Probably the best ones, best known are the Credo studies that really try to compare schools that are in the same neighborhoods. You've got some random assignment studies out there that have been great, though, of course, it's hard to generalize from those. You've also got a bunch of studies out there that have looked at competitive effects. Do districts respond in positive ways to charter school competition? You've got studies like our one on race match that try to look at why is it that charter schools tend to outperform traditional public schools, at least in the big cities and for kids of color, all good. But what nobody has been able to do before is to ask this very important question, which is as you increase charter market share, in other words, the percentage of kids attending charter schools in a given city locale, what happens to the student achievement of the kids writ large, the charter kids and the district kids? And now because of this great data out of Stanford, this is feasible. David did it. It's national data. And the findings are really significant. So, David, uh, first of all, did I mess any of that up? And second of all, tell us about the findings.
0: Thank you for that generous, <laughs> it's a generous introduction, Mike. I don't think you messed anything up. I think, frankly, your attempts to summarize all the charter research highlight the problem, which is there are so many different moving pieces here yeah. that sometimes it can be, and legitimate questions in some cases, right? Yeah. That sometimes it can just be difficult to see the bottom line and to understand the big picture. So I think that was one of the goals for me of this report was to, to sort of summarize the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think, I don't want to say that we were trying to answer criticisms, but certainly the research that shows that kids in charter schools, especially kids of color, are doing very well, in combination with the research showing that charters probably have a modest positive effect on traditional public school performance suggests that you would find a positive overall effect. That's mm-hmm. the logical implications yeah. Again,
1: for kids of color for, in big cities, right? Because that, that's an important caveat because some studies have shown that for white kids or for suburban schools, maybe yeah. it's a it's a different finding. And we can talk maybe some other time about why that might be. But for the big cities, for the concern around especially achievement gaps.
0: Yeah, the, that, right. that's right. I mean, overall, we, we find that in sort of in the biggest cities, moving from Zero to 50% charter market share within the African-American community or within the Hispanic community is associated with pretty, seems to be associated with pretty big overall achievement gains um, for those communities. In the largest, say, 20 to 25 districts, you're talking about a gain of between half a grade level and three quarters of a grade level for All of the kids in those communities, right? That's huge. Yes, that is huge. And right, and you can imagine having even larger gains if you went further. And you're right. It is, the evidence is clearest, I would say, in the biggest cities. But we really didn't find any evidence of a a negative effect anywhere for students of color. So it's at worst neutral. And let's not forget, these are really big districts. They're really big cities. And they're educating millions of kids. So when you're talking about major urban metropolises, you're talking about half of the Mm -hmm. black and brown kids in America.
1: I mean, in other words, charter schools can actually move the needle on the national achievement gap. Yes. And Nina, you know, this addresses these two big complaints that, that the opponents always raise. One is that you're hurting the traditional public schools when you grow charter schools. We know that complaint polls well, you know, that gets people's attention. The second is that, well, even if charter schools outscore traditional public schools, it's only because they're taking the highest achieving kids or the most motivated families. And so, you know, it's, it would all wash out. What we find is that's not the case. I mean, it's not hurting the traditional public schools in terms of achievement. And if it was just a matter of taking certain kids, then you would find a, basically a null effect. Any gains from the charter schools would be matched by losses with the district schools. That's not what we're finding. And so I guess the question, Nina, is any of this going to matter? Like, why do we still have this war on charter schools? in our big cities, for kids of color, especially from people who call themselves progressives. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, if it was about data, we would have won the political argument a long time ago. As you well know, those marketplaces where we have a lot of charter schools, high quality charter schools like Massachusetts and New York City are the ones that first saw the greatest headwinds Mm -hmm. of opposition coming from the progressive left. And the minute you talk about academic achievement, they change the conversation to Mm -hmm. something else. Mm -hmm. So what about equity? What about the special needs kids? What about Mm -hmm. those kids whose families are not making a choice? And so what's great about this report is that it is addressing about what happens to the kids who are technically left Mm -hmm. behind. Now you you mentioned that the impeachment interfered with your report but the report <laughs> happened to come out the same week that NCES released the you know report that hardly ever gets any attention yeah. but this time because they highlighted that in the aggregate charters don't perform any better than public schools yeah. it actually got some attention so your your report came out at the right time because you yeah. have exactly what you need to offer to counterbalance yeah. these big broad numbers at the national level.
1: No, and you're right. This federal study that are, quote, study, I mean, all they do is basically say, well, if you look at the NAEP scores of charter schools, you look at the NAEP scores of traditional public schools with no controls, without trying to look at apples to apples, then, you know, you can't see any any differences.
0: Yeah, that's right, Mike. And it matters. I mean, uh, the study period that we looked at from 2009 to 2015,
1: people may have forgotten,
0: but... Actually, poor communities across America were getting hammered during those years. They were getting absolutely hammered. People were losing their homes. Detroit was in a downward spiral. This was a rough time for many of the families that charters and traditional public schools were trying to serve. And at the same time, you had charter market share growing Mm -hmm. in places like St. Louis. You simply cannot do an apples-to-apples comparison without controlling for all of the different factors that we know matter, including in this case, sort of these district level trends that we yeah. know existed.
1: So Nina, I mean, is there any hope? Like, <laughs> I mean, it seems like all, all the polling we saw this fall from the various polls said that the charter coalition is basically made up of Republicans plus you know, Democrats of color, right? Uh, African-American and Latino Democrats who, who do overwhelmingly support charter schools, maybe because they're taking advantage of them themselves, maybe because the friends and family are, but that we have a real problem with these you know, white progressives on the Democratic side who have really turned uh, sharply against charter schools. What can be done?
2: Well, and the, the vast majority of them are probably in those districts that either don't have a charter school. And I'm willing to bet that most of them probably didn't go to any of the schools that our families are sending their kids to. Right, right. You know, it's it's a good question. I think one of the things that's happening to the Democratic Party is simply that they are paying more attention to the teachers' unions. Mm-hmm. And to the extent the teachers' unions have decided to go after charter schools, they are impacting that narrative. Yeah. And the only way to counter the narrative is to make sure that our families, our school leaders, our teachers and community Mm -hmm. leaders are actually voicing their support for charter schools. Mm -hmm. For a very long time, we haven't been relying on them to tell the story. And a lot of our school leaders, they just want to run great schools. They don't want to get involved in the politics of of this issue. And uh, more and more, we need to make sure that they understand that if they really care about these schools, they have Mm -hmm. to make sure that their voices are as loud as the voices of the teachers' unions.
1: Yeah. And look, it seems like maybe we can also elevate the voices of people in district schools saying, in effect, look, the truth is this competition from charter schools has helped our district get better. You know, it has changed some of these small p political dynamics and allowed us to make changes that otherwise wouldn't have happened. And so that's good for kids, too do those people exist? <laughs> well, over the years, look, I, I remember Michelle Ree used to acknowledge that the huge growth in charter schools in DC made her reforms in DCPS possible way back when Rod Page would talk about it. I mean, you know, I, I remember over the years, isolated examples, well, but those are still powerful. So let's, let's not give up on that notion that there are people out there. I mean, I think about in Chicago right now, you know, what, what is going through the mayor's mind when she's been so supportive of the teachers unions and they're going to strike anyway, even though she gave them almost everything she wanted? You know, I, I don't know. I wonder in her, she, she's very progressive, but and I but I still bet that she in the back of her mind is she thinking, man, thank goodness there's these charter schools that give me a little bit of leverage over these people because otherwise it, it's just nuts. It's all nuts.
2: And just adding on to what Mike said, I think our sector has relied a lot on the presidents and governors Mm -hmm. and in the case of DC mayors to Mm -hmm. carry today and they're not doing in my opinion all the things that you normally would do to get neighborhoods and community leaders engaged and I'm willing to bet that if you start that conversation Mm -hmm. at that level you probably have a lot of individuals who may not have considered charters as something that benefits Mm -hmm. the neighborhood Mm -hmm. uh, but something that is definitely helping in the longer conversation to keep families in cities like DC. Well
1: and David as as our representative of the white liberal Mm -hmm. (laughs) community I mean isn't it true that that white liberals often succumb to guilt so i just feel like we should be guilting you all into saying look how can you possibly be opposed to something that's good for kids of color
0: yeah i'm big on using guilt for good mike i always start by noting that our current education system probably was not designed with the interests of these kids at heart yeah or in mind rather then i ask people basically right whose interest do you think it does serve and i find that that tends to make people think
1: All right. We will leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us, Nina. Thanks for having me. Hey, congrats on the great study, David. Now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. You know, these conversations like the one we just had with Nina, it always makes you wonder, does evidence even matter anymore? But stake through my heart. We have to believe that it does, (laughs) right? Denial is
0: not a river in Egypt. We're
1: not going to declare the age of enlightenment over quite yet, right? Reason, data, evidence. We'll triumph. Yeah. We'll triumph someday. That's right. Or so we hope. All yes. right. So, David, a lot of compelling evidence on charter schools. What What do you have uh, in today's
3: research I minute? I have a cool descriptive study. We're going to do a descriptive study today just because it's, it's cool. Okay. It was out in Education Policy Journal by Chris Kerran He was one mm-hmm. of our Eeps. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys remember. He documents the level of geographic isolation of schools along with the discussion of implications, which we can get into. That's the fun Mm -hmm. part. It's the first national analysis of its kind looking at all schools, K-12, public and private. (laughs) Specifically, it asks the proportion of schools that have no other schools serving the same grade level and how that varies by urbanicity, state, makeup of the student body, et cetera.
1: No other school, like within a certain a distance, you mean?
3: Uh, yes. yeah. Yep. And I'm going to give you all just a little quiz to make it a little more exciting. Okay. Oh, boy. Okay. 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 There we okay. are. Yeah. Using CCD and private school data from 2013-2014, okay, no virtual schools, no alternative schools, no special education schools, the sample covers 93% of all non-virtual public schools and 90% 93% of all public schools, 90% private. He calculates several measures of distance that capture the extent to which, again, these nearby schools serve similar grade levels. Mm-hmm. The most direct path as the crow flies, which isn't his main one because obviously that's problematic. The shortest driving distance and the travel time between schools, which considers speed limits, traffic signals, and traffic congestion. Okay.
0: Love it. That's amazing.
3: It's really amazing. He looks at various distances from 2 to up to 20 miles. And different time ranges from four to up to 40 minutes. The computations took several weeks to compute, even on parallel computing environments. Mm -hmm. For example, it calculated more than 36 million optimal route calculations alone just for California elementary schools. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? Yeah. Wow, this computer's about to blow up. The findings, the average school district in the U.S. has just around how many schools total? Average district first. We're going to kind of okay. go average wide. Average, the and,
1: median, what are we? Hmm. Okay. The uh,
3: average school district in the U.S. has around how many five schools? Oh, I just told you. Ah! <laughs> oh, <I remember. laughs> Sorry. She All right, I'm not going to that again. Okay, I
1: was going to go lower.
0: I'll just you, say. Were, you were going
3: to lower? Okay. I
1: was going to say six, but yes.
3: Oh, yeah. really? You were going to go I, six? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nailed it, Mike. Uh,
3: nearly one in five <laughs> public elementary schools has no elementary school in the same district. And it's more than one in three at the middle school level. And about half of high schools mm-hmm. have no other high school in their district. In rural areas within district isolation is such that two thirds of rural, middle and high schools are the only school of that level in the district. All right. Now we go to nearby districts. Isolation is obviously very much reduced, specifically looking at travel distance to all public schools in the state about what percentage of elementary schools. I'm hiding my paper about what percentage of elementary schools <laughs> Have at least one other school of the same level within 15 miles. Ooh,
0: that's a lot. Have at least one? Within uh, 80%. 15
3: miles. David, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with 90%. 96. 96. Whoa. Yes. It was 92% <laughs> for middle yeah. and 89, yeah. 89% for high schools. Even among rural schools, around 77% of high schools have a proximal school within a 15-mile drive. All right, now we're looking at the private Wait, sector. what's the score, Amber? Sorry. The 77%? No, no one oh, nothing. Score. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, got it. <laughs> <laughs> what are you
0: talking about? One to one? All like right,
1: fine. She let the cat out One-to-one. of One to <laughs> one.
3: As for geographical isolation from the private sector, nationally, more than how many blank out of 10 elementary schools have another private elementary school within 10 miles? So now we're talking about the private school sector. I'd, I'd go with four. Mm. What do you think, David?
0: Is that a percentage? Four out of 10. Four out of, ten. Out of, out ten. Out okay. of 10. Okay, all right. Out of ten. I'm going to go with six. Eight. Ah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> more than one in three high schools does not. Virtually all urban and suburban schools have a private school option within 10 to 15 miles, yeah. but more than half of rural elementary schools and three quarters of rural high schools have no private school option within 10 miles. In terms of more localized, this is your walking to school thing this morning, Mike. Okay. In terms of more localized isolation around blank, of elementary... Well, I'll start with elementary first. Have no other school within two miles walking distance for walking distance purposes. Mike, Although two miles roll. is a long you're distance. A I'm not
1: doing well on this. <laughs> I, 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 Alright. Do not do... I'm The, the they, double negatives are confusing. Oh, sorry.
3: Alright. Um, around what percentage of elementary schools have no other school within two miles of for walking distance? 60%. David, what you think?
0: Alright. I'm going to go lower this time. 50%.
3: Half. You're right. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, and it's three quarters of middle and high schools have no other school within two months. This is
0: funny Amber. Do you have more? This, I
3: do. I <laughs> have uh, I have one more set of questions. We're in see, it's funny how you guys don't mind when it's a minute when I'm giving yeah. you a quiz. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. uh when looking when at fun. markets, now we're talking interdistrict locales. Okay. We see that most are most of these markets are pretty small. More than one in four elementary and more than half of middle and high schools have fewer, have five or fewer proximal schools. Now let's look at the state level, okay? Mm-hmm. So now we're looking at 10 miles of driving distance here, and we're talking about mm-hmm. the state level. Which states have the lowest levels of geographic isolation within districts?
1: Mm. How many That's are you looking for? Three. Three. I mean, these densely populated the dense, right. states? Yes. Does D.C. Do count?
3: Mm, not yet. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, what are the densely populated states? New Jersey. Jersey. Uh Jersey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where
0: do uh,
3: you live, Mike? Uh, Maryland. Maryland? <laughs> okay. Uh huh. Yeah, okay. Lots of sun in, uh, in Florida. 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 Huh. There we go. Maryland, Florida, and Hawaii, which we have. Uh, you know,
0: just one big Have summer, the huh?
3: lowest levels of geographic isolation within districts. Montana and where else do you think have the highest? Just think of a-
0: Wyoming. Eh, Vermont,
3: Vermont, actually. Vermont, yeah. When estimating state-level isolation in the public sector, three places have no isolated schools. No Washington, isolated schools. Bingo. <laughs> Yay. Okay. D.C., Connecticut, and Delaware. Okay. Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Rhode Island have less than 1% of elementary schools that are isolated. Yeah. There are no schools where- that do not have a private school within 10 miles. In other words, where do we live? I mean, where do we work? Yes, D.C. um, We live in D.C. There are no schools (laughs) schools in D.C. that do not have a private school within 10 miles. Isolation varies by urbanicity. Maryland, for instance, i I put this in here because I used to live there and you live there now, uh, has low overall isolation with no isolated schools in the city and suburbs. 39% of high schools in rural areas and 80% in towns. Have nothing, like when you just didn't get yeah. to these like Eastern yeah. Shore right. County places. Right. Schools with the greatest percentage of students of color are the least isolated since urban obviously obviously plays a role. Urban schools have the most students of color. And then they've got a long section, which we don't have time to get into, but we can talk about uh, the implications for all this. And they talked about some states that do really well with these regional service agreements to scale up efficiencies because mm-hmm. like West Virginia, apparently they have these great agreements that allow, provide PD, provide computer maintenance, pur- purchasing agreements for some of these more isolated areas. All right. Done.
0: Cool stuff. You know what my trick was, Mike? What's that? I <laughs> let you go first. You
3: did. I know. That was unfair, Mike. No, <laughs> but right you d- into you
0: it. You deserved it, though.
1: No, right <laughs> it. Did, All right. Did, that was did. fun, Amber. People should check that out. And they can play their yes, own games. Yeah, they can. As they like.
0: Yeah. Like right. in the tail on the donkey
1: with your eyes open. Uh-huh. Thanks, David. All right. That is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. <laughs> I'm David Griffin. <laughs> and I'm Mike Trill oh, here yeah, at Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gap Show shows a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at
2: FordhamInstitute.org.